Today's guest is Dr. Victoria Mazes. Dr. Mazes is Executive Director of the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine and a Professor of Medicine and Public Health at the University of Arizona. She's co-editor of Integrative Women's Health and lectures worldwide to academic and community audiences on women's health, aging, nutrition, and cancer. Dr. Mazes is here today on Health Watch to talk about her new book, Be Fruitful, The Essential Guide to Maximizing Fertility and Giving Birth to a Healthy Child. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Victoria Mazes. Dr. Mazes, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Okay, great. I'm glad we got you. So in reading Be Fruitful, your, your, your book about treating fertility, one of the things that really struck me was the fact that you talk about not only treating people who are having trouble with fertility, but also anybody who, sh- who wants to get pregnant, it's advisable for them to actually prepare beforehand, and that can, it can actually change outcomes for people. Can you talk a little bit about why? Absolutely. So that is one of the primary messages of Be Fruitful. Uh, We are exposed to lots of things that not only affect our fertility, but also affect the health of our future child. Uh, They include the unhealthy diet that many Americans uh, eat. It includes the environmental chemicals we're exposed to, the stress that we're under. These things affect our ability to become pregnant, but they also set our baby up for a lifetime of hopefully better, sometimes worse health. So somebody who's not necessarily anticipating having trouble getting pregnant, if they prepare, they might have a healthier child. Can you can you give some examples of Absolutely. where that would be the case? Absolutely. So in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, in 2011, there was an article that uh, it was preliminary, but I think very important, that showed that um, women who took antidepressants of the SSRI, which is the Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil class of medicines, uh, in the three months before they became pregnant through the first month of pregnancy, had an increased risk of having a child with autism. Now, this is preliminary and it needs to be reported, uh, repeated, and it doesn't mean that all women with depression should go off of their antidepressant. But say you were only mildly depressed or say you uh, were no longer depressed but your physician was saying maybe stay on this medicine to prevent a recurrence. You would want to know this and you would want to stop the antidepressant if it was appropriate for you before you ever got pregnant. There's excellent data to support the use of uh, prenatal, uh, preconception multivitamins in terms of increasing fertility, reducing miscarriage, reducing the risk of autism, of pediatric cancer, so cancer once your child is born. Uh, these, are, uh, these effects occur when we begin the multivitamin before conception. And also even something like weight uh, management. If you're overweight and you deal with some of your weight issues, you, you'll have a lower chance of diabetes in your children. That's absolutely right. So that has to do with some of what we call the epigenetic effects. Um, uh, when women um, have children and they're obese, they're actually increasing the risk that their child will be obese, regardless of the diet that child eats later in life. And we're learning more and more about the ways in which the time in the womb uh, affects 
the health of the child and then the adult throughout their entire life. We call this the fetal origins hypothesis. And it affects things like the likelihood that you will have diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, ADHD, uh, autism, a whole wide array of conditions. And so the point of Be Fruitful is that you want to have uh, the, the mother be as healthy as possible before she conceives in order to have the healthiest child possible. So, Dr. Mazes, from an epigenetic genetic perspective, so looking at how our behavior and, and diet and lifestyle and toxin exposure will affect generations further along the line, is that also going to be true for men and preparing in terms of what genes are going to get expressed or turned off with, um, with the sperm that they're producing before they give uh, before conception? So there is evidence in men as well, although it's not as strong. So it, it tends to be more on male rats, whether or not we want to uh, uh, you know, extrapolate from male rats to male human beings is a, is a very important question. But there is evidence in, in rodents that uh, when the father is obese, it affects the um, uh, amount of obesity that his daughter has at puberty. When would, when would a couple be um, considered having issues with conception? When is it a time when they should be looking to pull in somebody to help them out? Is there a, and, and how common is it for people to have trouble conceiving? So that's a great question. Um, it depends a little on age. We define clinical infertility as an inability to conceive after 12 months of unprotected intercourse. Now, that means that many people might conceive 18 months later, 24 months later, but the the official definition is 12 months. So if you are under 35, we say spend a year trying to get pregnant before you ask for help. If you're between 35 and 40, we say spend six months trying to get pregnant. And if you're over 40, we say three months. And that is a bit paradoxical because it's actually more difficult to conceive when you're older. But because age is such a factor in fertility, we don't want you to wait too long if you are um, attempting to conceive at an older age. Well, let's talk about a, a concept that you, you bring up that I thought is really useful and, and be fruitful. It's the idea of being an open-minded skeptic. And the upside of, of looking at both the benefits and downsides of alternative and conventional care. So can, can you lead us through why you think somebody who's looking to enhance their fertility should really be looking at both sides of the coin, but also skeptically at both sides? Absolutely. So, for example, when I went through my medical training, I didn't learn anything about acupuncture. Uh, there is actually uh, very good evidence, uh, many randomized controlled trials and a meta-analysis that supports that if you use acupuncture at the time of embryo transfer for IVF, in vitro fertilization, you will increase the likelihood of a live birth very substantially, 91%, which is almost a doubling. If you think about the cost of acupuncture, somewhere between, say, $75 and maybe $125 a session, and you think about the cost of an IVF cycle, somewhere around $12,000 to $15,000 a session, depending on where you live, if that acupuncture treatment is going to increase the likelihood, you really want to be including it. And yet a lot of people may uh, discount acupuncture and say not enough evidence. In this particular area, I think it's well worth being an open-minded skeptic and saying, you know, there is 
study evidence to support it, and it is something we should be considering including. You know, on the other hand, uh, there are lots of products being sold on the Internet with many, many promises, and the evidence is often at the level of what I would call testimonial, which means that, you know, there's a blurb from someone who says it was miraculous in their particular situation. And there you have to be discerning and be careful that uh, if you're going to do it, that the risk is low or nil because we're talking about fertility and the development of a human life uh, and that the the advantage of doing it is substantial. So we really have to weigh evidence carefully, not to um, eliminate anything that we didn't learn in conventional medicine, but also not to do things that might be risky. Well, it's interesting. I had a I had a previous guest on uh, who talked about how different specialties were doing self review on how much of their practices were based in actual evidence based medicine, and obstetri- obstetrics ended up uh, the lowest. And uh-huh. there's a lot of practices that may that we may assume are are actually evidence based, which may actually entail some risk. And and you mentioned in in be fruitful that fetal heart monitoring is something that's just sort of routinely done, but because it's routinely done without any sort of actual scientific proof that it's improving outcomes in most cases, it leads to some unforeseen circumstances. Can can you talk about that? Yes. So uh, fetal heart monitoring is a great example of something that we might think um, is a good idea because we're carefully watching the baby during labor, but it turns out that it increases the risk that the mother will have a cesarean section. And there are risks associated with cesarean section. There's risks of the anesthesia to the mother, and we're learning more and more that there's risks to the babies because by not being born through the vaginal birth canal, they don't become seeded with the normal microflora, which are the the bacteria that would be in the vagina. Instead, they are seeded with skin bacteria as they come out a surgical incision uh, in the abdomen. And so it turns out that that can affect the the baby and then the child uh, for years, perhaps for their entire life, because uh, they are now going to have increased risk of certain kinds of health conditions because they were not exposed to the appropriate bacteria for their particular gastrointestinal system to develop normally. We're talking today with Dr. Victoria Mazes about her new book, Be Fruitful, The Essential Guide to Maximizing Fertility and Giving Birth to a Healthy Child. You, you talk in, in Be Fruitful about a whole person assessment, that you're re, you advocate not just looking at female sex hormones and their balance and assessing the health of the mother or mother-to-be. What are some of the other systems that someone should be evaluating, and, and how are they related to uh, uh, fertility health? Well, um, I think it is really important to do a self-assessment, um, which can look very broadly at uh, your nutritional status, how healthy is your diet, are there things that you might want to alter. For example, um, are you eating enough fish to get your omega-3s, but the right kinds of fish so that you're not exposed to mercury, which can be a neurotoxin for your uh, child? Are you taking the preconception multivitamin that we discussed that's so critical to preventing neural tube and heart defects and enhancing fertility? Are you on any prescription medications that, uh, given the desire to have a child, you might want to wean yourself off of? Are your immunizations 
conditions up to date. Um, how much exercise are you doing? This is an interesting area where uh, too much exercise, the person who's training for a marathon, for example, can uh, interfere with fertility. You want to think about your environmental exposure. So, um, you know, as physicians, we're exposed to a lot of things at work, to radiation, to chemotherapy, uh, to hand cleansers that include triclosan, which uh, is an environmental chemical that, that affects uh, our endocrine uh, system. Um, some things that um, uh, we think would be just wonderful things to do in preparing for a baby, for example, painting a nursery and buying new furniture. Well, that paint uh, can be a source of environmental chemicals unless you get low or no uh, VOC, which is the volatile organic compounds. Uh, the mattress can off-gas. Uh, in, in many states, they're embedded with flame retardants, uh, which are uh, endocrine-altering uh, hormones. And so um, there are so many ways in which uh, we can actually take a good overall look at our own personal health um, our habits, uh, including, of course, as well, stress levels. And um, are we emotionally ready to have a child? Is our partner ready? Um, are we ready even, I would say, from a spiritual perspective to bring a new life into the world? So many, many things that one could uh, look at and explore in a planned pregnancy. I definitely learned a lot in that section. For, what, for instance, you mentioned medications that could interfere with fertility and something as, as benign as antihistamines could actually change your ability to conceive. Right, and a lot of people don't know about that. It turns out that we know that antihistamines are drying. That's sometimes why we use them when we have allergies. We want to dry ourselves up, but they also dry out the cervical mucus. And if the cervical mucus is dry, then it doesn't create a hospitable uh, home for the sperm to move through the uh, vaginal canal and, and into the cervix and then the uterus, uh, which is necessary uh, when you're conceiving. And another area that was interesting in the whole person assessment was around assessing your digestive health. There is some evidence on, on gluten and gluten intolerance and fertility issues, especially people with celiac disease. Yes. So about 4% of, of unexplained infertility turns out to be celiac disease. And so that's a really easy thing to, to check for. Um, there is a simple uh, blood test that can be done that is uh, relatively accurate. Uh, but sometimes um, you hear in um, sitting with a patient that they have symptoms that make you wonder about a food intolerance. These symptoms can include bloating or constipation. Um, sometimes it's more subtle things like skin rashes, um, not feeling well after eating particular foods. And so when I'm uh, doing an intake with a patient, I'm always listening carefully for any digestive symptoms um, that could uh, make me suspect a gluten sensitivity or actual celiac disease and and to explore whether an elimination diet might be a good idea for that particular patient. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today with Dr. Victoria Mazes about Be Fruitful, the Essential Guide to Maximizing Fertility and Giving Birth to a Healthy Child. So you have a large section on on diet and some of the diet research on optimizing fertility. Can, can you talk about some of the, the things that stand out to you that may not be the most obvious things that people should do to alter their diet? Absolutely. So 
there was a, an article that came out in the past two weeks about the Mediterranean diet um, and how beneficial it was in terms of preventing cardiovascular disease. It was the first randomized controlled trial. Well, it turns out that there's really good evidence as well for the Mediterranean diet uh, in enhancing fertility in women. And this is uh, more whole uh, foods that includes lots of vegetables and fruits, uh, fatty fish, uh, legumes, uh, whole grains, and much less meat, for example. There's some poultry. Uh, it includes uh, red wine um, at a, a reasonable level. And for women, that's probably less than one drink a day. For men, it might be a little bit more than that. But there are other studies as well that uh, support this kind of a diet. The Nurses Health Study 2, which is a very large study that's been going on since 1989 at Harvard, uh, showed that um, eating less animal protein and more vegetable protein. So vegetable protein is in legumes, it's in nuts, um, and um, it's less less meat, less poultry, less turkey, um, fish, and eggs, it turned out, had a very neutral effect. But um, the kind of protein one ate can affect fertility, especially over the age of uh, about 32. So as fertility is becoming a little more tenuous, uh, reducing the animal protein, increasing the vegetable protein can make a difference. Also from the Nurses Health Study, too, there was evidence that whole milk, as opposed to non-fat or low-fat milk, uh, enhanced fertility in women. Um, and then carbohydrates, uh, eating um, more of the complex whole carbohydrates, so quinoa or whole grain, brown rice, uh, millet, um, wheat berries, as opposed to eating cereals or things that are made from flour. Uh, the, the more processed foods, which are often made from flour, um, were associated with uh, less fertility. So these kinds of dietary changes are really consistent with other things that we know about diet and, and health, but it turns out that they mattered fertility as well. And is there any consensus on caffeine consumption or coffee consumption? You know, there actually is mixed data on coffee. It turns out that um, in... Um, in women, there's there's a variety of studies. Some show benefit, and, and that could be because caffeine and coffee can increase insulin sensitivity, and anything that enhances insulin sensitivity is going to help people who have a tendency towards insulin resistance. Uh, the, the peak of that would be polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it, it may be that for some women, caffeine really helps with insulin sensitivity and therefore helps fertility. We really don't have data to say to women, you know, don't drink coffee when you're trying to conceive, although, you know, uh, probably best not to drink too, too much. And, and then let, what about supplements? I know obviously it's going to really go case by case with different patients, but are there some uh, supplements that are the more common ones that are, you advocate for people to take? pre-pregnancy? Well, the most important supplement, of course, is the multivitamin. And for women, that should be looked at carefully. We want to look at the labels and be sure that it has somewhere between 400 and 600 micrograms, which is MCG of folic acid, that it has 18 milligrams or so of iron, 150 micrograms of iodine. Um, those are all critical to conception and also to a healthy uh, fetus and, and child. Uh, men 
women also should be taking multivitamins because they enhance uh, male fertility. The most common reason that men have trouble with fertility is because of oxidative stress and uh, antioxidants uh, can help enhance male fertility. Uh, but the other thing that I often recommend is an omega-3, um, which would be a fish oil supplement. And uh, that's because most people do not get enough omega-3 in the in the diet. And also, it is a little bit uh, a sad commentary, which is that our oceans are a bit, or rather, depending, <laughs> polluted. Um, and so fish come burdened with mercury and PCBs. And the fish oil supplements are um, clean. They're molecularly distilled. And so uh, the companies are able to get all of the mercury and all of the PCBs out. And, and that essentially makes for a, um, a safer way in some ways to be obtaining the, the omega-3 fatty acids that are important uh, for fertility and also for the developing neurological system of the baby. And are you an advocate of any herbs in that protocol, or is that on a case-by-case basis, too? Well, I um, think that that's really an important thing on a case-by-case basis. There are some herbal products that have been shown to uh, enhance fertility in studies. Uh, There's a a product called Fertility Blend, which is a mixed antioxidant and herbal product that uh, has been created uh, for women um, and and studied in two small studies, uh, and also so there's one for men, which has not been studied, but but seems to be a good mix um, in the women. Uh, it did actually uh, increase the likelihood of uh, pregnancy in both of the studies. Um, I um, think that chaste tree berry, also known as Vitex, um, can be used at times when women have a short luteal phase. It's another very safe um, herb that I discuss in Be Fruitful. Um, and uh, luteal phase is the second half of the menstrual cycle. If it's too short, then the developing embryo won't implant normally. And chaste berry has this effect of lengthening that part of the cycle and raising progesterone slightly. Uh, and it can be very useful. So beyond that, I would say there are herbs that can be uh, beneficial. And it's really great to consult someone who's knowledgeable uh, in herbal medicine to help help make decisions about which to use and for how long. Some things that you might use to help you conceive you would not want to use once you were pregnant. Well, before we finish today, Victoria, how much, what percentage of uh, fertility issues are because of the men? Because I know it's, it's possible and sometimes you see uh, women go to higher and higher uh, medical interventions before the man is actually checked out whether it could be on his side. Right. So, about a third of fertility problems are thought to be male factor, about a third female, and, a, and the remaining third is a combination of that particular couple. It's really important that men be evaluated earlier. The evaluation of men is much simpler. It's a semen analysis, and it's a much simpler um, analysis to do than some of the more invasive testing that women have. And so you don't want to go too far down the line of assessing uh, women's fertility without also assessing male fertility. 
And, and you, it was interesting, in Be Fruitful, you also mentioned some studies that showed that men who took antioxidants had a much higher uh, ability to conceive. I think it was even up to four times the amount. Exactly. And, and that's such a simple intervention uh, for men to be taking a multivitamin. Men, of course, don't need iron in their multivitamin. Um, on my website, which is victoriamazesmd.com, I write what you should look for in a multivitamin because it can be confusing. And you kind of want to go to to the store with a list so you know exactly what to look for in terms of the different micronutrients that should be in the multivitamin. But very good uh, review of the evidence. Uh, Cochrane review shows that uh, men who take multivitamins are four times as likely to impregnate their partner, five times as likely to have a live birth. Can you repeat the website and, and, and spell it for our listeners sure. too? Sure. VictoriaMazesMD.com, which is V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-M-A-I-Z-E-S-M-D.com. And do you have any final thoughts for our listeners today, either people who are thinking about getting pregnant or might already be? It's a pleasure to be on your show. I wish them the blessing, really, of fertility and that they conceive with ease and have a healthy and, and, and happy child. Well, it was a real pleasure having you on Health Watch today, Victoria, and, and I really enjoyed Be Fruitful. Thank you so much. We were talking today with Dr. Victoria Mazes, the author of Be Fruitful, The Essential Guide to Maximizing Fertility and Giving Birth to a Healthy Child. Either later today or tomorrow, you'll be able to find this podcast and other podcasts from Health Watch in the iTunes podcast store. You can just search for Health Watch or my last name, Naaman, or you can go to my website at drnaaman, D-R-N-A-I-M-O-N dot com slash Health Watch and listen to today's program. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.